I definitely am lucky. I, I will not, and I will not argue that I've been able to be in positions where I was able to start this career and to, you know, get the education that allowed me to get a foot in the door to, to these areas and um, to navigate that. But there, I do think there's a lot of hard work and, and play that you, you can once you're in those situations. So, you know, if you're given luck, it's, it's also how you use it. Right. And, um, you know, you don't want to be the person who's really lucky. And then, you know, you let that opportunity go by. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode 225. This is Clark. Jace, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Good, good. We got a question. Let's let's see from all of you. Got to tell everybody Happy Valentine's real quick, though. Yeah, man. Happy Valentine's. Yeah, when is that? that that's hey, that's, that's when today. This out. Yeah, fourteenth. Yeah. Yeah, Happy yeah. Valentine's happy for Valentine's. all you lovers and those seeking you got lovers, a surprise right? For your wife or what's going on? No, you know I got flowers. I, I have a weird relationship with flowers just because I feel like they always die so fast. But I got flowers a, a little while ago, which was a surprise. You know, I never wanted to be that. It gets the flowers on the day of and can't find them. So I, 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 I prepared a little early this year and got them a little early. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're going to a comedy show here. It was last week, got canceled with the ice storm in Texas, and it's going to be this week. And so that'll be, that'll be kind of Valentine's this year for us. It's going to be great. Go to dinner, right. too. So there you go. I guess. Yeah, I should get my flowers early too. But by the time people hear this, it'll already be too late. So that's that. All right. So question this week from Oliver. He says, great podcast. I really enjoy hearing about people's journey towards financial freedom. One of your recent podcasts got me thinking about some statistic where most wealth is lost. If you pass it on, he's talking about to family. Most wealth is lost by the third generation. A couple of your guests have brought up the terms family office and dynasty trust. I was wondering how these strategies help preserve wealth through generations. So what do you think? Let's start with, I mean, family office is just a group of individuals that invest, right? Or pass family down or has enough money to invest. So I don't know that that in in itself is protection, right? It's just kind of an investing platform or tool. But what about for the trust, Jace? Yeah, the, 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 well, let's just go back real quick to the, to the family office real quick. So just from a terminology and standpoint, I think that term is used in, in a, in a couple of different settings. The main ones we've seen are, are when, a couple of high net worth individuals will pull assets together and essentially possibly hire a investment chief investment officer or an analyst or a couple or a couple of different people have a team that will basically kind of oversee their portfolio investments. In some cases, an individual who's who's maybe even not higher higher net worth may kind of house that for themselves. And the intent is that hey, we're bringing in a fiduciary; they're going to manage everything for the family you know, on a go forward basis and, and that kind of thing. So that that's where we've seen that terminology used most. You know, I think it is something that's been a little bit more, I guess, a, more of recent as, as people have kind of set these family offices up and there's all sorts of different, uh, you know, ways that in terms of the, the dynage trust, I mean, those are, are, are for, for tax protection, trying to uh, avoid the, the transfer taxes, such as state gift, et cetera. And there's also mechanisms in these, but also other trusts where the person who is putting together the trust can put in mechanisms such that 
assets don't become available to heirs or anybody really to use um, unless certain conditions are met, whether that's age or, you know, net worth or getting a college degree or, you know, there's all sorts of random different things. I'm sure if you talk to, to an estate attorney, they could tell you some interesting stories on unlocking certain assets. But I think age, net worth, you know, graduating college, buying a house, business, et cetera, those are kind of the main ones that, that I've been familiar with or seen. Yeah. Yeah, with you on that. All right, great. So this week we have Nick, net worth of 2.1. He's had a career working in tech for some major companies uh, that most of us probably know and use every day. So fun to hear from him. Last week we had James, net worth of 1.2. He works as a realtor, a realtor now, but didn't always. So that was a career switch that he made in his 30s. Uh, he worked as a project manager, so she, he shares his story and really emphasizes the importance of giving money away. He views himself as as a steward for his money and and talks about how when we give it away, it comes back even more. So really interesting perspective and, and fun to hear from him. So thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a question, go to our website, millionairesunveiled.com. You can hit Ask a Millionaire and submit a question either written or via SpeakPipe, or you can email us at millionairesunveiled at gmail. So thanks for tuning in. And without any further delay, let's get into this week's episode with Nick. Nick, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. Um, I'm currently working in tech um, and have been doing the tech circuit for a while now. Um, Before this, I was at Airbnb and before that at Twitter and then uh, Facebook before that. And then uh, before that was doing a bunch of different jobs, not in the tech field. Um, I was doing a scholarship in Germany for a while and then um, in college and grew up near Boston and doing a bunch of odd jobs throughout high school and uh, in college as well. Awesome. And we're going to get a little bit more into to the, the career progression that you've made. But first, what is your net worth today? It's a little bit of a moving target because I have some uh, pre-IPO shares of my current job. Um, so I kind of exclude that just because it's really hard to to sort of gauge but with without that it's about 2.1 million if you include that i would say it's around 2.5 but it could vary a little bit awesome and how is that broken up um well a lot of it right now is in airbnb shares i would say a little over a million because there's some lockup periods and cap gains issues um, that i'm trying to to navigate so we're not allowed to sell for a period of time um, we have a house, um, I'd say there's probably like a quarter million of equity in our house. And then we have a, a fair amount in cash right now, probably a hundred thousand because we're doing some renovations as we're preparing for a baby in a couple of months. And, um, I would say the rest is in, um, taxable or untaxable accounts, mostly in index funds. Wow. So I want to get into all this, but first, I mean, the million bucks in, in a publicly traded company that you were working at, man, that's pretty phenomenal. How long were you there for? Yes. Very, uh, very fortunate to be in a position. Now I was there for about four and a half years. So, um, worked there for a good amount of time and left about a year and a half ago. Wow. So you plan to sell some of that or do you plan to sell all of it when, when that lockup period ends? Probably going to sell. That's a good question. I'm probably going to sell most of it, um, not all of it, just to diversify. I mean, it's, it's, I definitely see, uh, you know, wanting to ride the wave, but I definitely want to diversify a bit. But, um, I'm, you know, I'll probably also keep, you know, maybe like a hundred thousand dollars, maybe a little bit more in, Airbnb just to sort of navigate that and sort of, you know, see how that goes as well, given that I worked so hard to to get that equity as well. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I want to have a, a little conversation about this, just because one, it's pretty unique. I mean, obviously, there's lots of people potentially in your shoes out there with with shares in in you know VC backed startups or private equity backed companies, and you end up you know spending a good chunk of your time essentially earning sweat equity or whatever you want to call it, and then obviously you know at, at a liquidity event it it becomes realized, right? And so you go through this period, and you're extremely invested in that company, but you also don't have, you know, as much decision-making power, at least in some of the roles that that maybe we're discussing here, maybe at the executive level you do, even then sometimes you don't because your investors really start to, to take control of the company. But I mean, emotionally having like what, let's call it almost a half, half of your net worth tied up in one company, emotionally, you know, you said you get rid of maybe 900 of it. How do you go about thinking about that? And, and what is that kind of done along the ladder? I mean, do you, as you are working there, was it, Hey, yeah, I'm earning an extra couple hundred million or a couple hundred grand a year, you know, as I'm here, or was it more, Hey, I'm working, we're on this mission. If this turns into something, you know, financial gain on the, on the shares, great. If not, oh, well, I'll move on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty tricky. I mean, I think, so I, I guess like, when I was working there, it was, um, you know, it's it just sort of out of sight, out of mind because you don't have access to it. And it's been a little bit surreal going from, you know, knowing that sort of is there to sort of suddenly having more access to that liquidity. But I think in the moment, like and what I would tell people, too, is, you know, to, to do your standard investing um, like you, you normally would right? of, you know, your, your typical trying to reduce your expenses and invest as you can and. Um, because there's no guarantee that that stock is going to be what you think it will be. Um, obviously got particularly lucky in this situation, but you know, it could have, you know, nine months ago could have gone a very different direction. Um, and, um, you know, I think we both have been, my wife and I have been both very, you know, keen on sort of living, you know, financially responsible lives and, and doing that. And then similarly having a plan in place for when you do go public, uh, and sort of what your, your motivations and your goals are, because it's, it's a pretty big shift all of a sudden where you go from, you know, not having access to the capital to suddenly having a huge uh, gap, gap, you know, a huge sort of windfall where you have to sort of navigate that. And that can be overwhelming to some people. I've seen, you know, people blow a lot of money or lose a lot of money doing the wrong decision in that situation. And, um, you know, other people who you know are now basically retired. So. Yeah. I mean, as, as you've gone through this journey with these companies, have you seen people kind of, you know, that you worked with cash out and retire on these deals? A lot of like the really, I would say like, well, yeah, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, but there's a lot of people who are, I think, you know, workaholics in this space who are, you know, very, very well off and probably don't need to work anymore, but they, they do. And they stay in this industry and these companies just because I think they, they like, uh, you know, the influence and impact they can have on these kind of roles in these companies. Uh, but definitely have seen, you know, a fair share of people just sort of, bow out or you really change and pivot their career to something, you know, just completely different. You know, people became like a baker or uh, that and other people who just, you know, took time off and then sort of came back into things. But, you know, and the reality is they don't actually have to work. And, um, I, I, you know, I think the fire movement, I, I don't know it's, if it's a, quite as popular with the tech people. Like I don't talk about it at work with people, but, you know, I, I think there's, it was more like a work hard culture and this, and that sort of keeps people in that. Yeah, totally. 
Would you, what category would you put yourself in amongst those, that crowd? I mean, I enjoy my job right now. I didn't always like. There's definitely been points in my career where, like, part of my motivation for the fire movement is like, I know I probably won't always want to do this, um, and I probably want to do something different. Um, and you know, having the the financial freedom to sort of make those decisions or not be beholden to you know s- certain politics in a company if it goes sour or whatever. You know, that that to me is really appealing. But for the time being, like, I'm really happy with what I do. You know, I find my work fulfilling and interesting. And but, you know, when I look, you know, 10 years down the road and you know, with a kid on the way, there's probably a point in my career where I where I probably I don't want to, you know, be quite as involved in my work in, in, the, in the capacity I'm right now. And it's been more of my time focused on other things. So what what drives you now, Nick? Is it similar? You mentioned some of those people stay in the space because they feel like they want to help build something or be part of the company. Is is that the same for you right now? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think so. Like, so my career, I work specifically on like safety issues and things like that, which is a pretty interesting field in the tech space that's going through a lot of changes. And um, it gets really interesting to sort of be a part of that and see how these companies are evolving that space. And um, sort of be a part of really the found the founding of that that industry. I um, mean, I would say sort of profession um, as it's starting to grow, and um, you know, being a part of these companies early on and setting their foundation. Like a lot of the companies I start, I, I specifically look for companies where they're really starting to grow quickly and going to like really scaling places, and where I think I can have an impact. And I, I just find that kind of work really interesting and fulfilling. It's it can be stressful at times, but uh, definitely rewarding. How did the tech start? I mean, you mentioned the beginning, Airbnb, Facebook, Twitter, Stripe. It's quite the lineup. How, how did it start? What was the initial job or how did you get that? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't always that way. Um, after, So I graduated college. I went to school in Connecticut and graduated college right around the, the time of the recession. Um, so like I was like 2008 and or the last recession. And um, I, you know, it, it was it was pretty hard because, you know, going out of school, you're, you know, looking forward to, you know, what was a, a booming job market before that. And then, you know, not really um, having that. And um, there was a guy I went to college with and he worked at this company at the time, which, you know, wasn't very big then called Facebook. And, you know, he's trying to sort of hire uh, people, you know, to help with some of their customer support. And I actually, I had applied also to a, a different thing at the time, uh, called a scholarship program called Fulbright. I was like, ah, Facebook, it won't be that interesting. And, um, you know, and then, um, you know, I, I took the Fulbright and I lived in Germany for a couple of years doing some research and teaching and, you know, doing the, the European travel lifestyle and, um, you know, if I had, I think if I had pursued that a little bit earlier, you know, I, I might, I might, might be a little bit earlier on the retirement journey, but, um, was fortunate enough when I came back then, um, similarly, you know, trying to, to sort of find jobs and, and came back after Germany, moved, uh, back near Boston where I grew up. And, um, you know, it was a bit of a hard landing because, you know, you're going from, you know, this, you know, pretty independent lifestyle back living at home. And I was doing a bunch of odd jobs working as like a, a baker and whatever. And then, um, reached out again to, to the people who I talked to a couple, couple of years before that about this position. Um, after, you know, not making much progress there. And, um, you know, I picked up some language skills at the time, which let me get a foot in the door. Um, and the, you know, the timing, the rest is history there. So I, I got in, um, at Facebook early, early on in one of their operations teams, you know, doing, you know, what was, you know, not really fun work, to be honest. It was a lot of content review of really bad stuff. And during when, you know, Facebook was scaling very, very quickly and, um, working on a lot of their internet safety things early on. And then, 
you know, was able to leverage that experience into sort of more specialized roles like escalations and uh, policy teams. And then uh, by sort of developing certain skills and uh, expertise and sort of being able to move around internally, I've been able to, you know, carve out a, a, a specific niche for myself within these companies um, where there's an increasing demand um, and not, not too many people with the skills that I have. So that's been helpful. Yeah, really neat. And then I guess, how long did you stay at each of these? Is there, is it just a couple years stint or a few years stint at each? Um, so yeah. So when I was at Facebook, I was there for just about four years as well. Um, and a, a couple of different roles there. And then, um, at Twitter, I was there, I was only at Twitter for about a year. Um, and then, um, at Airbnb for a little over four years and now Stripe where I've been for about a year and a half now. So the equity piece on Airbnb or the options rather, how does that happen? Was it when you first joined? Is that something they incentivized you with after you were there for a certain time and invested? Did you get a promotion and they gave it to you? When did those options come to you? Yeah, like usually with these roles, like your initial grant, especially with the the companies tends to be like the the biggest one. So because both because, um, you know, the company's valuation, hopefully, if it goes well, changes in a positive direction over your tenure. Um, so that's usually like your, your biggest one. And um, I was there after there's different kinds of stock options. I was I came in after they had sort of stopped issuing what's called ISOs, which are um, a different kind of stop option where you basically or you, you have access to buy shares at a certain price. Um, so that's like for really, really early employees. Uh, but the, the types of shares they gave me were, were called restricted stock units. Um, and basically what happens is during your time working there, you, you vest at certain cycles, um, that equity. Um, and then when there's a liquidity event, you have access to, to, to those shares. So it's a, a, you, it suddenly becomes income. So you don't, you can't really do anything with those shares until there's actually a public, um, offering or the company's acquired. Um, and they do offer like equity refreshers, you know, like I said, throughout, you know, for performance reasons or if you do well or if you get a promotion, um, they, they revisit that. But generally speaking, like the, the initial grant tends to be the most lucrative. So uh, of your friends or those that you worked with at Airbnb, how many of them plan to hold on to these options if they had options long term? And how many of them say, hey, I just want out and I'm just going to sell and cash out? I think so. Like there's there's like a. There's like a Slack channel for Airbnb alumni, and I think it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag there, um, where I think some people you know are selling selling most, and then other people are are diversifying um, more. I would say like the people I know, like a lot of people, I def I definitely think are diversifying either for because you have all this deferred income, and you know you haven't been able to access that, so they might have life goals, um, you know, like buying a house or, or paying off debt that that they want to do as well. Okay, this episode is sponsored by LoanSteady. As regular listeners know, we love companies that can improve your financial well-being. We vet sponsors carefully to make sure that they can deliver a great experience to our listeners. So if you're in the market for a home loan or interested perhaps in refinancing or would like to take cash out for a special project or home improvements, especially before rates potentially rise this year, check out LoanSteady. They have 350 five-star Google reviews so customers leave happy. They have a special offer for listeners of Millionaires Unveiled. Before April 1, go to www.loansteady.com slash millionaire and apply. And LoanSteady will will waive all lender fees, including application and processing fees. Important terms and conditions apply. For more licensing, please visit www.nmlsconsumeraccess.com. 
org. This is Loan Study LLC, NMLS number 1701910, equal housing lender. So get a rate today and see how Loan Study can help you reach your financial goals. Go to www.loansteady.com forward slash millionaire to get your special offer today. So Nick, you were on a little bit of a roller coaster with Airbnb, right? Because they they were going to IPO and then the pandemic hit and then they were going to IPO through a SPAC and then they weren't and then they did IPO and it IPO'd above what they were listing at. I mean, it was just, there was, it seemed to me at least, I mean, you probably know more obviously being on the inside, but it seemed there was a little bit of back and forth. Yeah, it was honestly super stressful. Um, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that I was able to, you know, transition to my current job before all the, the pandemic stuff hit. But, um, you know, I'm sure people remember, but at the beginning of COVID, you know, traveled like flatlined and, um, there were, they, I think there's some interesting, uh, interviews of Brian Chesky around that time where he talks through that experience. But, um, you know, they were planning on going public in March, I think of that year, uh, or filing to go public. And obviously things it took a turn for the worst. And myself and a lot of other people too, uh, there are people who had grants. Um, and part of the grant agreement is that you, um, you know, that your, your grants expire after seven years if you don't reach the liquidity event. So, um, in addition to sort of the delayed IPO because of COVID and seeing, you know, the, the valuation go from, you know, a pretty significant portion to, you know, going way, way down and trying to plan around that to potentially having, you know, some of your shares, a significant portion of your shares, uh, becoming canceled for, you know, them not being able to go public in time was, uh, you know, it's a pretty big emotional roller coaster to, to navigate and trying to deal with that. I guess, you know, there was a lot else going on at that time. So, you know, there was a lot to sort of be distracted with, but that, that definitely added to the stress of the moment. So Nick, is your, uh, your secret channel there, the Airbnb employees, is that going to become the new Reddit line? <laughs> they have like some, some channels for, you know, people who are, who are a little more aggressive for their investing and what they think about. But, um, you know, my, my investment philosophy is a little bit more on, on the index fund side and trying to protect my assets, especially now that I've, you know, acquired a significant portion at this point, um, and trying to keep that uh, as stable as possible. I've had enough roller coasters over the past year and a half, um, from, you know, investing in game stock right now. Yeah, no, we gotta, we gotta get on that hot stock tip and on that Reddit or on that, uh, Airbnb forum, get the news, man. You guys are going to be controlling <laughs> the market here pretty soon. It sounds like. Yeah, a lot of people suddenly coming on with uh, with all their money. So totally. So when you plan to sell, are you going to move most of them? Just walk me through as as Nick makes money, and as your money comes in, and it could be you know these liquidity events or just in general. Where does each dollar go? Where what you know top dollar? Where does that go first? You put it in retirement accounts. The next go to the house. Mm-hmm. Like how do you kind of think about diversifying and, and splitting up your money as it comes in? Yeah. So like, I think like that was a good part of having a plan before of like trying to sort of be aligned. Like there were things I knew I wanted to do right away when we went public uh, with the money. And well, first was paying off my wife's student loans. Um, you know, she works really hard. She's a nurse practitioner and, um, you know, she, you know, worked really hard to get to where she was and took on, you know, a lot of debt uh, to, to get to that role. So that was, you know, definitely something I felt really proud and, and happy to do. And it met all of our financial goals. We're also getting our house, uh, ready for, you know, for a baby. We're in a relatively small house in Seattle and we're, we're doing some renovations and uh, trying to update that. So like, I think there's just sort of like a, you know, trying to, you know, event, I say invest a little bit in myself and ourselves, just like we haven't really had that luxury for a while. 
Um, so that was sort of, you know, priority number one. But when it went, came to investing, um, you know, what I'm probably going to do is almost certainly just, um, I, I'm probably going to sell off as, you know, vast majority right away. I know there's some people who are talking about, you know, maybe you sell off some shares over a period of time and, and try to do that. But I'm going to wait until, um, I re- reach my long-term cap gains and, and then sell off, I think, a significant portion of shares and, uh, put it into a couple of different index funds. Um, yeah, I generally put, you know, a lot in, you know, the total stock market index fund for Vanguard and then a couple of REITs. Um, tips, which are for like inflation protection and then some international exposure as well for, uh, bonds and, uh, in stocks as well, just to sort of get that a little bit on that to sort of ride if there's any volatility that you can sort of adjust if you need access to that capital. But that's sort of the sort of the, the plan for the time being. No interest in real estate? Actually, but that's a good point. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I was talking to my wife about that. That, that's more of like a, a three to five year goal, I think, where, Obviously, like, you know, we own property. We've done air, I've done Airbnbs at properties that, you know, our, our house before. And, um, you know, I understand that business. And, um, I think we, you know, we're interested once, you know, our life stabilizes a little bit in, you know, three to five years trying to, um, you know, buy maybe, you know, a single family or a multifamily and trying to, um, you know, see how that goes. It's more, more from like a learning experience, but also trying to create, um, different sources of cash flow and income for us. Um, you know, as we start to, you know, broaden our, 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 our um, wealth basket. Yeah, totally. So as you look out, I mean, do you plan on retiring at some point? Is there a number that would say, yeah, Nick's done. I'm going to, I'm going to cash it in. I'm going to kind of move into that next phase of life or still kind of on the train of, let me just keep riding this. It's been fun. I'll reevaluate every so often. Yeah. I think like I'm in the reevaluate category for now. Like I, I definitely enjoy my work. Um, but I do, like, I think a lot of my perspective, it'll be interesting to talk to me, you know, six months from now when I have a kid and, and how that changes my perspective on things. Um, but I, you know, I, I imagine like I probably want to eventually start something different, work a little bit less, but a little bit more focused on maybe trying my own business somewhere or getting into, you know, uh, you know, personal investing on, you know, other people's small businesses or real estate, things like that, where, um, you know, it, it's a different kind of work and one that you have more control over versus, you know, the, the nine to five job and you have a little bit more flexibility in your day to day. And, um, that would be something that I probably eventually pivot to, I would say in probably like a 10 year, 10 year horizon, I'm guessing. Yeah, totally. Has there ever been like a net worth number that you've, that you've, you know, wanted to obtain or, or, you know, a level of income, you know, that might come off passively that you've ever strived for? Yeah. I think so. I mean, like, I think hitting like the, the million mark is like just kind of cool, right? Cause like, I think that's something that, you know, you always grew up, you're like, oh, it's, it's weird. Like, oh, I'm a millionaire. Um, that's a kind of a weird thing. Um, and that, you know, that hurdle was interesting. I think like longer term, I think it's more, for me, like I, I'm more in the, the trying to get to um, the net worth where or, or income streams where like it can replace my current income from either, you know, the, the investments we have or whatever that would look like. And, um, you know, that might look for like where I live in a high cost of living living place, you know, upwards of like, say, like five million based on, you know, like <laughs> a, a more lavish lifestyle. But you know, we're also thinking about moving to a much lower cost living place. And if we did that, we could, you know, we could retire yesterday if we wanted to probably um, you know, and and do that. So for the time being, like we're, we're happy here. And, you know, I think if we want to sort of maintain that, you know, keep keep the course. And hopefully if, if things go well, you know, we'll be able to, to reach that goal of, 
you know, just sort of offsetting our, our incomes, you know, in the next, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah. What does that look like for y'all for moving to a lower cost of living area or a little bit of geo arbitrage? I mean, do you have a place picked out or is it just, hey, I want to get off the coast somewhere, somewhere, you know, that that's lower cost of living. I don't really care where. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good. So we've actually had an interesting experience on this because um, my wife and I, we met in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And that's, you know, just extremely expensive. And I just remember we were there and, you know, we were in like a two bedroom apartment next to like a train station in Oakland. And, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was a fine area, but, it, you know, we were paying a significant amount of our paychecks, uh, for the apartment. And then, uh, with the Airbnb job, I, we transferred up to Portland, Oregon. And, you know, just it's Portland's an expensive city, but the cost of living compared to San Francisco and Portland, you know, our mortgage was less than our, you know, two bedroom apartment in Oakland. And, um, with Seattle, it's higher cost of living, um, there are benefits here when you think about, you know, where you want to move. You know, there's for for someone like myself where, you know, you might be getting significant windfalls. There's a lot of tax implications for for where you're living and where you vest the stock. And, um, you know, that, you know, we like Washington. We like the Pacific Northwest from like a lifestyle point of view. Um, so like we're thinking, you know, places, you know, outside, further outside of Washington and uh, maybe going back to Oregon at some point. But for the time being, I, you know, this is the area we like for both financial reasons because of the, the income benefits it has, but also because of the lifestyle and, and the things that we like outside of work. Yeah, totally. Do your friends know of your wealth or your family know of your wealth at all? Um, I like, I don't talk to them like explicitly about the number. I think people assume because, you know, for a long time, I, I didn't feel wealthy, right? Like I didn't have access, like I said, and the roles I was having was more entry level. You know, you're working with, like when I was at Facebook, you know, I was, you know, in an entry level operations position and you have people who are engineers out of college making, you know, six, multiple six plus figures and, you know, getting all this stuff and, you know, you're, you're scraping by and, um, you know, now, you know, where I am, I've been able to, to navigate and grow my career and, um, I, I don't really share it, you know, unless people really ask for it, you know, to sort of talk their advice. It, it feels kind of awkward, but yeah, I mean, like I'm not, I'm not opposed to it, but I, you know, I, I just try to, I keep that generally keep that private. So Nick, let me just press you. You, you. you made one comment, like if you moved away or out of the expensive area, you could retire yesterday. Does that ever tempt you? There are definitely some days where it tempts me for sure. Like, you know, I think, um, yeah, you you can think about that. I think there's like a mental barrier from like when you've been in something for so long, um, and then moving to that. And you know, I'm more of a risk averse person, so like I definitely know that's something I want to do at some point. But I think there's some stuff I have to do to get like you know myself ready to make that kind of uh, jump in that kind of commitment. I think like the financial goals there um, are, are, you know, like where I would want to be, but how that would actually be in practice to pull the trigger is, you know, actually quite terrifying and making sure, you know, you have health insurance and um, that, you know, what your plan is and making sure everything goes right because, you know, you, you want everything to go, to go right and uh, not to um, be in a situation where, you know, you, you have to like really pivot again and um, you know, go back and, and try to, try to, to, you know, recoup lost ground and, and to, you know, have to start all over again, I guess. But, you know, I, I know the, yeah. the, the, the logical side of my brain says that's, that's more than likely not true. Uh, but the, the irrational part um, is, you know, that's, that's the part that I'm trying to, trying to sort of deal with and try to prepare on that. But yeah, definitely think about that sometimes. Yeah. And a big moving piece of that and, and tech in a way is really leading the push on this is the opportunity to work remotely. <laughs> So is that something that you guys have talked about and 
I, I guess I don't know how, I, can, I don't know Stripe's stance on it, but it seems like maybe you could move and still yes. work for the same company. Yeah, that is definitely. So I think for now, like we, like one of the reasons we moved to Seattle is that like it gives me flexibility in my career. I'm fortunate because my wife is a nurse practitioner. So she, if we wanted to move remotely, like we could do that. The only thing that I think about on like the remote thing, like say if we moved, you know, somewhere really remote that, um, you know, if, if I wanted to stay in my profession or do something like that, like the, the opportunities that it would afford me in a remote is just, it limits my ability to, to sort of stay in this particular career where I am right now. And I am kind of happy for the time being. But that said, like, I think that dynamic is changing pretty quickly. So, um, I think the, I'm, that's something that I'm watching pretty closely on how the, the working from home culture shifts, not just at Stripe, which I think is pretty friendly to remote work, but also other places, right? Like if, you know, um, if I ever had to switch for whatever reason that, you know, there would be options there. And I think, um, if that becomes more of a, a stable, uh, sort of landscape, that would definitely be something that I would take seriously. Uh, into consideration to, you know, move to a place that has more space and then a better cost of living. And, you know, we can keep our place in Seattle and rent it out and then, you know, move to a place, you know, not, not too far away and uh, reduce our, our overhead a bit and, you know, enjoy uh, the lifestyle that that affords in those, those places where you, you, know, you just get a lot more bang for your buck and a lot more space. Yeah. So you mentioned home equity about 300,000. Is that right? Uh, it's like, uh, I would say like a, quarter million it depends on the valuation of the home i guess but yeah i would say it's like a quarter million through a thousand and then you have about what like six or seven hundred in the stock market if you don't count the airbnb yeah that's i would say about accurate there's about there's like a, 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 a significant amount like a hundred thousand in cash right now because we're doing some renovations on our house uh we're just we're in a small house we bought uh, the cliche we bought you know the, the best uh, the the worst house on the best block uh it needs a lot of renovation a lot of work and we're trying to race against um the baby timer to get um, some, you know, an extra bathroom put in and um, stuff like that. So we're, we're doing some major renovations on our house right now. So that's why we have so much cash um, on hand. Yeah. So let me ask Nick, and I think they ask this frequently on the, uh, how I built this podcast. What, what percent of this is due to luck and what percent of this is due to skill? Your story here. I think so. I mean, there's, you know, I definitely am lucky. I will not, and I would not argue that I've been able to be in positions where I was able to start this career and to, you know, get the education that allowed me to get a foot in the door to, to these areas and um, to navigate that. Um, but there, I do think there's a lot of hard work and, and play that you, you can once you're in those situations. So, you know, if you're given luck, it's, it's also how you use it. Right. And, um, you know, you don't want to be the person who's, really lucky. And then, you know, you let that opportunity go by. And um, I worked really, really hard early in my career to build my experience and certain skills that that made me get sort of more, um, you know, leverage positions that I think were more in line with both the quality of life to get away from work I didn't like, but also um, to leverage that to other kinds of companies. And um, I think I've, I've been particularly good at finding companies that I think are, you know, on their on their way to, you know, to being very, very successful and trying to, to navigate that. And I think that's, there's some luck involved in that, but there's also a lot of work and um, a lot of effort to sort of build those, those skills to sort of be able to navigate those work environments and to, um, you know, 
you know, survive and you know, frankly survive in some of those work environments because mm-hmm. in the, the safety side of things, you know, it's not it's not always easy. You know, this this it's a pretty it can be a pretty uh, grueling industry and um, a pretty hard hard place to work and a hard sort of line of work to work in as well. So yeah, yeah, agree. So what drives you then and and to to be successful to work hard to save this money to invest the money to be where you're at i mean to earn the options and and has that shifted previously i mean did something drive you something different drive you 10 years ago i think some yeah it's it's a good question it's something definitely i mean like i think part of like early on i was fortunate to be at facebook when you know they ipo'd and i didn't know anything about finances you know i you know there was you know stuff i learned and I knew investing was good conceptually. And, um, you know, for, at the time, you know, I, I had made what I thought was, you know, a pretty significant amount of money at the time. And, um, there's other people who made a lot, lot more, obviously. Um, uh, but, you know, for me, just starting my career, you know, I didn't really know what to do with that. And, and I really was motivated more from like a learning perspective at that point. And then, um, later on in a, a different role, um, I, I was really just unhappy in the job, right? And I, it, it was the, the role was not what I expected it to be. There was a lot of internal politics and, uh, fortunately, you know, things have changed and I was able to navigate to other roles. But the, that, I think that really pushed me more once I started to learn about the finances more into like, Hey, well, you know, if, if I, I'm not happy and I don't want to do this, like what, what's my next option? What are those out there? And that, that's when I really got more into, you know, the, the retirement early, sort of side of things and um you know right now like for me is more like i've been really trying to get to like a stable place with all the movement and uh, i think settling down and what's motivating me right now honestly is like my family and trying to get our family started and and then i think at some point you know i think we'll probably shift more towards spending more and more time with my family and, and trying to get into um you know different you know i enjoy learning i enjoy helping people and um, like those are things that have been part of my career and uh, finding ways to use my skills in different ways, um, you know, whether it's in my current career trajectory or um, down the road or things that I find rewarding and hope to continue to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. Let me just jump into some rapid fire questions here and then we'll we'll end with some general mistakes and, and advice. So uh, what's been the most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Uh, probably. We, 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 we are foodies, uh, but it's probably, I would say like a $400 meal for our anniversary, um, which, you know, was, was very, very good. Um, and, uh, definitely a little bit of a splurge. Okay. What about the most expensive car? That would be our recent car. Um, we've had not, not to, uh, we, we definitely splurged a little bit recently with the IPO and we upgraded to an Audi Q5. Um, which has been nice. And we're going to actually just use one car right now. So I'm getting at a lease. I'm getting rid of that car. That's, that's definitely our most expensive car. Okay. How old were you when you became a millionaire? Ooh, um, that's a good question. It, it really, I guess like I, I technically was for a long time, right? Because like I didn't, um, you know, like I think with Airbnb valuation and I think, but I didn't necessarily have access to that. So it didn't necessarily feel that way, I guess. Um, but I'd probably say like, Probably like around 30 is probably where my net worth probably passed around a million if you include the grant. But um, I would say probably over the summer was when it really happened when, uh, you know, the, the Airbnb initial public offering when I, I got access to the capital. Or, sorry, the winter, not the summer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, how much do you spend a year, annual household spending? Um, it's probably like around 100000 uh, maybe more or less depending on the year. 
And has that increased as the net worth and income has increased or do you keep it pretty constant? I think it's increased a bit. Um, like we've done a lot of moving the past couple of years. So that's been expensive um, more so than like normal. But, you know, trying to, to keep, you know, a budget and keep things at bay, but also trying to enjoy things a little bit, too. And, and you know, take the, the foot off the gas a little bit and, uh, you know, just trying to, to find the, the balance of, you know, the priorities because, you know, money is important, but um, so is, you know, enjoying the having the money and, and using on things that you enjoy. Yeah. Did you ever have debt, student debt, car debt, any type of debt? I've always been, well, mortgages. We we have a mortgage on our place and we have mortgages um, on uh, the, you know, our, uh, our previous property we owned in Portland. Um, and, you know, I've always been kind of weird about, I've, I've sort of debt averse, except for certain times. My wife, like I said, had a student debt, um, but, you know, I always pay my credit card bill on time, have since I was, you know, basically had the ability to do that. And I've sort of, for whatever reason, that's just something that's sort of ingrained in me. Awesome. Uh, range of household in- income, as much as you're comfortable sharing. On like where I started to where I am now? Yeah, correct. Uh, well, when I was, uh, you know, a teacher in Germany um, and doing that, you know, I was working off of like a stipend of like, I would say like 20,000 euros a year or something like that. Um, it was a low, low cost of living place, but, um, you know, had hourly jobs in, in high school and college as well of, you know, minimum wage to a little bit above minimum wage. Um, but um, my first salary job, uh, which was at Facebook, was probably like when I started like $45,000 a year. And uh, currently, you know, it, it varies depending on if you consider bonuses and stuff, but I would say it's like around $175,000 a year. Good for you. Good for you. Any particular financial goal, net worth, passive income? I think, um, well, we, we definitely want to try our hand in, in real estate. So I think it's getting um, enough to invest in a property for like multifamily where we're comfortable with. Um, well, we have that, but like getting to the balance where we're, we're comfortable from an education. And the main goal, I would say probably like, uh, we were talking about where we can live where we are right now um, to, um, you know, offset our incomes, which is probably like around five million. That would probably be where where we're aiming for. Okay, great. Any books or products you recommend? I really like the Balga Head Guide to Investing. I mean, it goes over you know all of uh, all of the the basics of that, and they have some interesting tips in there. I'm also a little bit of, like I said, I, I, I understand how things sort of fail and come apart. I recommend the big short. It's a fun read. It's interesting to see how that goes. Another book called, I think this time it's different, um, where it's similar, where they just look at like different, uh, you know, companies or, or economic cycles uh, in sort of what happened on those. And, um, I just interested in learning about those and sort of seeing if there's anything I can glean from that for products. I, I mainly use, you know, mint, uh, to track, uh, my budget and, personal finances, um, generally like that, um, and would recommend that to people. Okay. Awesome. So, I mean, Nick, really good interview and obviously you're polished and have been extremely successful. I mean, you hit millionaire at 30, you got high income, you got these options, a, a pretty interesting and unique story that we haven't had on. So I, first of all, obviously we're appreciative that you reached out and, and thanks for coming on. But just in closing, what would be your advice to somebody who's just getting started, whether they're in their 20s or 25, and and maybe they want to go the tech route, or or maybe, I mean, whatever way you really want to spin it here, what would be your advice to somebody, and how were you able to do this so quickly? Sure. I think for people 
So there's a couple of things. So like one for people breaking into tech, like some good advice somebody gave me for something different. Like when I first started, um, you know, in my career, you know, I, I thought I was going to be like more in like policy, public policy side of things. And, you know, I had a person, a professor tell me, he's like, you know, if you want to be a politician, you go to Washington, D.C. If you want to be in finance, you go to New York. If you want to be in tech, you go to, uh, you know, San Francisco or Seattle. And, um, you know, it, it is like when you're young and to really understand like what the advantages you have in that situation, both with your age and your circumstance, and to really try to maximize that and not be afraid to like move and take those risks early on um, to sort of get yourself established. I think for people getting into tech, it's, you know, the hardest part, I think, is getting your foot in the door. Um, and once you're there, you really have to, you know, again, you know, don't be afraid to advocate for yourself, you know, and to invest in yourself to say, you know, to pursue things that might be outside of the role that you you were hired into because these companies are changing very, very quickly. And, um, you know, if you're able to to have a big impact um, in different areas in the company, that's actually what they what they look for. For financial stuff, I think it's really like my advice is like read as much as you can and invest as much as you can as early on as you can. Um, like, I, you know, I, I feel fortunate that I was able to invest and be in these companies early on. And but I also like was trying early on to invest, even though I, I would say I made some mistakes along the way. Um, you know, I, I at least had some money in the market where I was able to start to to build a little bit of a fund for myself and, and sort of learn the ropes. And then where I'm now in a place where I've gone through uh, all of that, you know, over the past, you know, 15 years or so. And I feel much more, you know, aware and educated about my circumstance and uh, that I can make more informed decisions about what, what I want to do with my money. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. I mean, really good advice and great overall interview. So thanks again for coming on, everybody. That's Nick, net worth of 2.5, right? If we include the Stripe share. So thanks again. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.